0: Hello. Hello, Anna. Mike, what what's with the voice? Do you like scary
1: movies? Uh,
0: you know I do, Mike.
1: Do you like scary podcasts about scary movies?
0: What, what is happening? What's with the weird questions?
1: Because I'm right outside your door with my podcasting mic.
0: Why didn't you just ring the doorbell?
1: I uh, I'm not sure. I just I just thought this would be cool, to be honest.
0: This is a recording studio, Mike. Please please just stop and get in. We have a podcast to make you <laughs>
1: Welcome to Hello Sydney, a limited podcast series supported by Paramount that cuts deep into one of the most iconic horror franchises. Across the next few episodes, we'll be slicing and dicing our way through each movie in the Scream franchise in anticipation of the brand new Scream, coming to cinemas in January 2022. I'm Mike Munzer, a producer and podcaster, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Firstly, writer and broadcaster Anna Bogatskaya. Hello! Hello. And journalist and broadcaster Louise Blaine. Hi. Hello. And this week it's episode one, so we'll be diving deep into the original Wes Craven's Scream from 1996. <laughs> So, guys, we've got lots to talk about uh, this week, but we will say to everyone listening out there, spoiler alert, we will be spoiling the original Scream from 1996, but we won't be spoiling anything beyond that in this episode. Uh, so, just as a little refresher, Louise, if there's anyone out there that's not seen this film in a while, give us a little plot summary. I challenge you to summarise the plot of Scream in 20 seconds. Your time starts Now
2: Murders take place in a small town of Woodsboro and Sydney Prescott, whose mother has been tragically murdered the year before, is suddenly faced with many of her friends from school also dying and discovers that someone called Ghostface
0: is after her too. Oh my God, beautiful. That was 18 seconds. Very good. (laughs) Oh my
1: goodness. (laughs) <laughs> so, before we get into any specifics, let me just ask you both a bit about your Scream origin stories. Louise, do you remember when you first saw and discovered Scream?
2: Well, when I think about it, I don't think I would be I would be doing what I do now if it wasn't for Scream. Basically, it ignited my love of horror movies and the fact that I now get to write and talk about them is the most exciting thing because 12-year-old, or I think it was 11-year-old me... I used to hang out in the music department at school, because we were the cool kids, that would happen. And at lunchtimes, we would always wheel in that enormous VHS TV, CRTT, the combo thing that was on wheels when the teachers didn't want to teach you. So we would, we would bring that in. And someone brought in the VHS of Scream. And that was how I first experienced Scream. And I think it just opened this gateway of people are making really scary horror films, but they're also for you. They're cool kids. They're really attractive. Everyone everyone knows exactly what to say all the time, which I think when you're 11 or 12 is exactly what you want. But at the same time, it was savage. It was horrible. And also I think what's really important is I didn't know any of the references and you guys would be the same. Like I've now spent the next 25, I hate saying this, next 25 <laughs> years doing my horror homework so that I know all the references but the important thing is that I loved it the first time I saw it regardless of knowing all these tiny Easter eggs through it. And I think that's what's really important about it.
1: Yeah, I think my origin story is almost exactly the same as yours, Louise. I saw it when I was probably far too young, although arguably maybe the perfect age. Who knows? Because I was about 10 years old. Uh, I had older siblings. They had rented it from our local video store. And then I woke up really early the next morning after they had watched it. And I watched it really early while everyone was in bed. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It blew me away. And I think, again, there's that mix of, like you said, Louise, that sort of accessibility of these young, cool, aspirational teen characters uh, with really scary horror. And I just remember this feeling of absolute fear and excitement and exhilaration. And that that was the moment that I fell in love with horror. And I've kind of been in love with horror ever since. I'm now a horror journalist, a horror podcaster, and I would always consider Scream to be One of my favorite, if not my favorite, horror movies of all time. And it is the reason I love horror. So it's a big deal for me.
0: I feel left out now. (laughs) I feel left out because actually I am embarrassed and sort of ashamed to admit that I actually saw a scary movie before. I saw Scream for the first time (gasps) as a teenager. I know. Okay, calm yourself, (laughs) right? This is not Game of Thrones. (laughs) Actually, though, my horror origin story and my love for horror and understanding even instinctively the full visceral effect of a of a horror movie goes back to Wes Craven who's the director of Scream with one of his earliest works with The Nightmare on Elm Street which is an an 80s dream slasher movie and I saw that, that I saw that way too young when I was about 9 or 10 and it impacted me so much that I couldn't get enough of horror movies so even when I did eventually watch Scream as a teenager I obviously did not think of scary movie but I thought of Nightmare on Elm Street. And I could see some of the nods to that franchise, which I had kind of grown up with and fell in love with. It became something that was talking to other horror movies, which I'd never seen before, outside of parodies, outside of spoof films, which suddenly I, suddenly made it something completely new and completely different. And like you were mentioning, it's not just a horror movie, it's a teen movie. And I grew up with these teen movies and watching them, the teens in Scream were so smart and so articulate and so savvy about other movies that it was kind of like watching a, well, a, a, you know, 27 year old version of myself on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's meant to be 16? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A much hotter version of you. Or th- <laughs> the thing that you imagine your high school should be, that was the Kevin Williamson high school. I always wanted to grow up and go to the Kevin Williamson version of high school. What's that noise? Popcorn. you making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies.
2: Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie.
0: You like scary
2: movies? Uh huh. They said that when he would he would write as part of the script when Kevin Williamson would write the script, it would just then say. Wes will make it scary so he would <laughs> so he would write the script and go but would, I'm not putting any direction in here because Wes Craven's going to fix it you, know, you don't Wes Craven, Wes, it
0: Wes
1: Craven that's it and it's that perfect marriage isn't it like we've said of, of Kevin Williamson was at this point very new I think this was his first sort it of feature that he had written yeah. he wrote this script that he called at the time Its working title was Scary Movie mm-hmm. funnily enough and uh it was like nothing we'd seen before in teen fiction, right? And it really, it kicked off this wave of 90s teen uh, movies, most of which were written by Kevin Williams. They were.
0: Right? <laughs> Stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer. You yeah. know, obviously he wrote the Scream sequel, Scream 2. He mm-hmm. wrote Halloween H20. Yeah,
1: The Faculty. Yes, and Teaching these, Mrs. Tingle, which he also Mrs. directed. Tingle. And these are movies, right, where it's almost like teenagers have their own sort of unique language, right?
2: They have a unique language and they speak in a unique... like Just like when Friends taught us the intonation of how speech should work, <laughs> Kevin Williamson taught us what the actual <laughs> content of those words should be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> exactly. And then on the other side of that, you've got Wes Craven, this seasoned horror director, right, who had been directing horror movies for over 20 years at this point. So this very cool, poppy, postmodern writer matched with this seasoned director that makes terrifying movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, like Last House on the Left, Like the Hills Have Eyes, uh, coming together to make this sort of absolute perfect movie between them, right?
0: And also, you know, it's it's worthwhile mentioning the fact that Wes Craven had had a, effectively an unofficial dry run for Scream with his return to his own franchise, to Nightmare on Elm Street, with Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which came out just two years before Scream did in 1984, and which also kind of introduced this meta-narrative of the villain and the movie business and also the actors who were playing all the characters in in New Nightmare were also playing their characters again. So that meta-cinematic horror language Wes had already been playing around with, but really, with the addition of Kevin Williamson's script, took a whole new level. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. One of the things that Scream gets credited with a lot is basically reigniting horror as a genre and reconnecting horror with, with younger audiences specifically. So Before we get into how it did that, where was horror at this point in the 90s? Because I think a lot of people just dismiss the 90s as a decade, as a bad decade for genre, Mm. until Scream.
1: It's so true, isn't it? I think generally with horror fans like us people do consider the 90s as a bit of a dead zone for the genre and that's a bit unfair i don't mm. think that's actually the case of course it's a whole decade there are loads of amazing films but i think particularly with the early 90s and i think particularly with the the slashers if we're talking you know slasher horrors they had such a boom in the early 80s didn't they following the release of movies like Halloween in 1978 and then of course Friday the 13th in 1980 and then there were hundreds that followed to the point where I think by the late 80s everyone was kind of done with crazy man wearing a mask with a knife killing teenagers right it was
0: slash exhaustion
1: it was absolute slasher slump uh, by that point in time (laughs) and so you know it felt like nothing new could be done and uh, yeah the horror genre kind of needed something new and needed something fresh to reignite it, didn't it? So I think Scream gave it that sort of adrenaline shot in the arm because it it was still doing the whole slasher movie format, but doing it in a smart way that we hadn't yet seen, where, oh, actually, yeah, we can sort of poke fun at how ridiculous these films mm-hmm. are, as well as making them scary and making them entertaining in a new way.
2: Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Is that the one where the guy had
0: knives for fingers? Yeah,
2: Freddy Krueger.
0: Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary.
2: Wow, well the first one was, but the rest sucked. And there was a lot of movies that wanted to be that had horror sensibilities, but then obviously didn't want to be connected with those, so didn't call themselves horror movies. So you had your sevens, your Silence of the Lambs. You had all those movies that are intrinsically horror films. And I always say, if someone says that they're one of their favorite movies, sorry, you're a massive horror nerd. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) just
1: Yeah, you're so right because they were very slasher-esque, right? Hannibal Lecter or John Doe from 7. Th- these are these have slasher horror tropes, but they were somehow more prestigious. They weren't considered horror. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And there was also uh there was that big separation. Those movies presented themselves as psychological thrillers or, or cop movies, right? Um, but there was a lot of fantasy horror up until Scream. Yes. Kind of in the in the first half of the 90s. There was a lot of Stephen King adaptations. I think every year there was at least two different either TV or film adaptations of Stephen King novels. So it everything kind of felt very unrealistic or ungrounded. So yeah. everything was about leprechauns and creatures and vampires and sequels that mm-hmm. didn't really need to exist that much and scream really felt like it brought it back to reality because there was no supernatural element it was all about very focused on on human horror and specifically on teenage horror
1: that's it and that's and scream ends up being sort of the perfect sort of concoction doesn't it of all of these things that came before it you know it, it's harking back to teen horror of the early 80s it's also kind of poking fun at some of that sillier horror of the sort of late 80s and early 90s and it's cashing in on that trend of the more real life horror thrillers the procedural stuff the more prestigious stuff of the early 90s it sort of puts all of that together into a boiling pot and we end up with something we'd never seen before and that is scream.
2: Listen, asshole.
0: No, oh, you listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish. Understand? Uh, yeah.
1: And I suppose the other major thing about it is that these were teen characters that knew about horror movies too right I mean something that separates this from the old slashers of the early 80s it was like the teenagers in the early 80s slashers had never even heard of horror or seen one because they always did ridiculous things that you know never to do in a horror film and uh, these characters were actually aware of that. I mean
0: that was one of Kevin Williamson's big um big revolutionary elements in the script is that these teenagers lived in a world where horror movies existed. So they not only were horror movie nerds, but they also knew and understood and made fun of the rules. And that is set up from the very first scene of Scream. You should never say who's there. Don't you watch scary movies? It's a death wish. You might as well just come out here to investigate a strange noise or something.
1: There's this whole you know horrible deadly pop quiz that Casey has to do in the opening (laughs) scene right where she has to name the killers in all these different (laughs) horror franchises or she and her boyfriend will die so it's it's not just that they're throwaway references they're actually part of the narrative aren't they
0: yeah that's that's sort of film quiz that I enjoy
1: Right, it's got to be life or death, yeah, Anna, as far as I'm concerned. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm not playing with you guys, ever. <laughs> never, never do a film quiz with me. I've, I've fallen out with friends for years because of film quizzes.
1: Anna gets violent.
0: Oh, I'm so me. aggressive with <laughs> film quizzes. That's why I don't do them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I ask a question if you get it right. Steve lives. Please don't do this. Come on, it'll be fun. Please. It's an easy category. Please. Movie trivia. I'll even give you a warm up question. Don't do this, I can't. Name the killer in Halloween. No. Come on, it's your favorite scary movie, remember?
1: Drew Barrymore was, I believe, the first star to actually be attached to this film she was. she was in fact part of the reason why the film got made and why it got other people on board because she was a big name she was really interested by the script and i think uh
2: on the poster her face on, is on the, the po- all
1: over the poster of course i think initially the studio wanted her to play sydney they wanted her to play the hero of course because she was the biggest name but i think it was drew barrymore herself right that was interested in playing casey and thank god that happened in a way because what a genius move right i mean how good is that opening scene and her performance in it as well, right?
2: It's also terrifying and savage. Yes. It's really savage, and I think it it states the tone for the whole movie because when you make movies about attractive teenagers, you don't tend to bring in their parents. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it brings in her mum and dad coming back, she can't speak. She's been stabbed. She's holding her throat. They're admiring the flowers, and they're going in, oh. and then they hear her die, and that has a completely that does something interesting tonally because normally we just see kids die thrown over over balconies all the rest of it fine it's self-contained but the minute you bring in the reality of relationships and parents and that kind of savagery suddenly you're like there's all to play for i've no idea what i'm doing here
1: exactly and like this what we thought was going to be this big main star our hero of the film actually in a shocking twist dies in the opening scene and it's it's still shocking it's still upsetting
2: babe.
0: Where is she? She's, she's here. Oh, my God, I, I can hear her. Well, it, that is scene she? is perfect in so many ways. And the more you rewatch Scream, the more perfect it becomes because it, it really plants so many ideas that will then get developed throughout the rest of the film. And you're absolutely right. The fact that her parents hear her die and hear her struggle is just savage. And it kind of really serves to remind us that these are children. Yeah. These are yes. kids. Yeah fine, they're playing by 27-year-olds. But (laughs) in the story, they are children. So, like, we're not really separating them that much from their reality and just how young they are. And that first scene as well, you know, it starts off really playful and you really expect her to get away even after she's, you know, stabbed for the first time. You kind of think, well, you know, that... That's not mortal. That's fine. Casey yeah. will be fine. As Drew Barrymore, her parents are coming be home. They're yeah. coming up the driveway. She'll be magically saved, yeah. and you know, and then we'll continue. No, it goes on. It's so it's genuinely terrifying, and it's so interesting to watch that scene with a crowd, especially because you can sense, or with you know, with with people around you, because you can sense the mood change very, very quickly within a minute. It's played straight, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. the thing. It
1: you don't necessarily know in that opening scene that what you're in for is this sort of smart satire or comedy. It doesn't really feel like that in the opening scene. It's it's kind of telling you, right, we're, we're really pulling out the stops. You know, anything could happen in this movie. Anyone could die and could die really brutally and it really sets up the stakes, doesn't it? And then it can kind of have fun for the rest of the film but I think it's so important that it begins the way it does. it does almost work, doesn't it? Like a perfect little short film, almost, you know? It's yes. it's just, like you said, Anna, the way that the tone shifts and changes from being kind of playful to suddenly becoming incredibly upsetting. That moment when she calls out to her mum and can't, you know, she can't scream. All of that stuff is really upsetting and it's perfect, isn't it? I think it began, Kevin Williamson wrote a kind of 18-page treatment for this film, which was just this set piece, you know, and then he expanded it into a film. So I think you can feel that, can't you? That this is its own little self-contained story Absolutely. almost you know
0: it also perfectly sets up the actual mystery of scream yes. you know who's the killer because it's a very subtle thing there's just this one shot where casey pulls off the mask of ghostface and you see in her in her performance that you recognise the knows. person, mm. and then you're like, "Oh, who is it? Who is it? Because <laughs> it <laughs> could be anyone. Anna, and It's w- always someone you know. Of
1: course, it's, it's always someone you know. <laughs> and at that point, we we literally don't know any characters, so it's yeah. like we don't know. But it's it's such a clever move that, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's setting up because obviously a huge element as well of Scream is that it's a it's a mystery, right? To who done it? Who done it? Uh, that's that's what separates it from your Halloweens and Friday the Thirteenth and other things as well. I think in that regard,
2: the tone of it is really escalated as well, though. So while it is serious it is very structurally sort of, almost not Scooby-Doo-esque, but one of my favourite shots in Scream in the whole movie is when she's looking back into the house mm-hmm. to see if, where he is and he runs from right to left like just briefly yes. with a sort of arm raised. So there's something very theatrical and very performative about Ghostface's movements from even a very early stage, which is, because it's just so terrifying. That person's in your house, you're outside. But just that shot, it, it literally <laughs> come right. up in goosebumps. Because I love it. I should love we, it every sh- time.
1: Yeah, should we talk about Ghostface for a moment, right? Because uh, what an interesting thing as well, because obviously Ghostface is a different person in each film wearing a costume, but there is a similar movement and personality to every Ghostface killer in a way, right? And they don't Obviously, they are just—it's just a—it's just a teenager in a in a suit in the story. But they move weirdly; they're clumsy; they fall over; they run around; they yeah—the the the way that their cloak kind of flows behind them every time as well.
0: And also, something so so simple—you know—it's literally one of the most basic disguises you can buy in any drugstore and and just put it on anyone can put it on it's so there's so many of them which really serves for you know whether there is only one Freddy Krueger there is only one Michael Myers there is legion of ghost faces yes. and that obviously is kind of the big the big twist at the end of scream but also the thing that's continued throughout the whole franchise is anybody could be ghost face you know any one of you could be ghost face like if you if I look at you the wrong way one day but failing <laughs> <laughs> a <laughs> Pop quiz with Anna. <laughs>
1: exactly. I think we all know who Ghostface is in that scenario.
0: Well, no, no. just stay at your toes. I, I think every Ghostface, in a way, has this little personality because they're always a different person. But the the image of it, the figure of it, it's just this black tunic and the mask. And you could buy it. You can never really completely eliminated because anyone could just buy it and they could become Ghostface. So it's a n- never-ending kind of cycle of killers. It's scary face too, though. It is oh, still yes. scary.
1: It's so scary. And, you
0: know, I remember
2: I got a screen mask very early when I was 12 or 13 and I... I used to stand at this is terrible. Here's an admission. I'd stand looking in the mirror, right? And you can do the and I'd practice because it would terrify people. The really slow head tilt. Yeah. Especially in the garage scene with Tatum. The slow head tilts and that completely silent. And that's what's so scary, is the fact of that face is scary whoever's underneath it you don't know who it is so that's scary they've got a knife that's scary the, the wiping
0: movement, of the knife as that, well oh yes that's. it's it. like some
1: sort of animal isn't it it's like the way he kind of will sort of stay very still like you're saying kind of pray and then counts and then and then like suddenly cheater. runs around like a mad thing and falls yep. over things and and oofs and, grunts and oofs yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> there's oofs
1: <laughs> and of course there is there's this there's this disconnect too between at least in the first film between the ghost face we see and then the voice on the phone right um yeah. and the voice obviously is Roger is actor Roger L Jackson and obviously the the kind of um uh, the the way it works in the film is that these killers are using a kind of voice-changing device, so that's not actually their voice. But that is the ghost face voice as well, isn't it? And that's such an important part as well. The phone calls is like is such a that was another kind of groundbreaking thing, I suppose, about this film that in 1996 who knew that the person calling you could be on a cellular phone outside your door, you know? The question isn't who am I? The question is where
0: am I? so where are you your front porch but actually like this is also a a film really really rooted in 90s culture not just because of the cellular phones um but in general like there's sydney has a computer sydney texts or emails i don't know what what that's called yes. she does something on on ms dos yes the 911
1: yes. ms dos call did
2: you Hi. know did you know that um, what was deleted from that was she was putting the call in where she lived elm street she lived on elm street yes. they deleted it yeah. oh that makes me so sad I would have loved, <laughs> but then it would have removed the drama of the situation maybe yeah.
1: in that moment yeah. it, w- it it didn't work yeah. yeah yeah
0: but how does it kind of exist within teenage culture of that 90s specifically I
2: think there's a sort of colourful timelessness to it despite the fact that that lives on and one I would like to say and I can't believe I'm admitting this but basically I started talking to someone on Tinder and I asked what their favourite scary movies were because we were talking about horror movies and I said I really liked Scream and they said <laughs> she said I don't really like old movies and then we stopped oh. then we st- then we stopped talking <sighs>
1: and then Louise so, became Ghostface. Yes,
2: that's how this works. But yeah, I think there is a timelessness to it. I think it's got that. And I think now 90s fashion is currently mm-hmm. a big thing. So you're looking at Tatum, maybe not Tatum especially, I think is the sort of epitome of she's like Woodsboro clueless you know she's got that yes. tiny t-shirt t- cool with the number 10 on it she which apparently rose mcgowan shopped for herself <laughs> basically they dressed her and she went uh-uh, not doing this so she went to some strip mall somewhere and was like no no i'm buying all these things this is tatum Amazing. and you can feel that you can yes. feel that kind of she is a she's a character that everybody knows someone that is a tatum mm-hmm. and she created that so i think the 90s
0: it's just kind of a celebration of that mm-hmm. and also the video store scene that's the only thing that both ages is and it makes me want to go back to the 90s because like I miss them I miss the video stores
1: we all miss the video stores don't we and that's it the the, the 90s teens kind of became known as that sort of VHS generation and that was such an important part of it as well wasn't it that this was the era when you could own all of your favourite films on VHS so they're again everyone's much more pop culture savvy movie savvy and that kind of thing it's just amazing to think that this was one of the first films that really outlined all of the rules and tropes of a slasher film whether it's you know don't say i'll be right back don't drink don't do drugs you know um uh, you know don't go outside to investigate a a, a weird noise never say who's there when someone's knocking at the door yeah don't have sex what's your favorite scary movie
0: oh come on you know i don't watch that shit why not too scared
1: no no it's just what's the point they're all the same some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door it's insulting
2: but I loved watching that happen and then watching them break their own rules because exactly. even that one moment of Sydney being like it's it's insulting and then all of a sudden the next thing she can't get out the door and she's running up the stairs <laughs> And and but that makes it all the scarier for us because mm-hmm. we suddenly become it's that we become we, we look for ourselves in a horror film and when someone doesn't act like we want them to we get angry mm-hmm. but that never happens in screen because they know to react the way we would react yet the world is built in order for them to still fail yes. and that's what's so scary and so effective as well because yes. you go oh you're doing everything right and yet you still can't survive you can't catch a break neither can we so suddenly that's that's upping the ante again
0: and sydney in her own way kind of aside from mocking horror films and doing exactly the same thing that she was mocking is also a very kind of original type of final girl because it's there is a big deal being made about her being a virgin at the beginning of the of the film um it's literally in the in the in the first in the first kind of scenes that we really meet her, but then it's also a huge deal—not just in her relationship with Billy, but then she does actually go all the way, and then she still survives.
1: Mm-hmm. Sydney's—I mean. Again, Sydney as a main character as a final girl is so important to scream, I think, really. I would I would say maybe the most important element of scream because in each scream film the killer changes, the location changes, most of the supporting characters change. Sydney is the constant, right? It's 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 her story we're seeing and that even though the the idea of the final girl was of course a thing, you know, but really a lot of those big horror franchises it was Michael Myers that would come back each time. It was Jason Voorhees and the other characters and the final girls would change. Whereas this is a series that keeps its final girl. um, And Sydney and Nev Campbell's performance is just incredible, right?
2: She's perfect. She's perfect. I mean, you watch again and you're like, Nev is just, of all the, there's lots of things that you would maybe change, like little things you would change now, but not Nev. Never, Nev. Never. She's the, just, I think her, again, that groundedness, Mm -hmm. that constant relatableness that you still find because despite the fact that she manages to live through the first one. She still goes to university and she does other things and she has a life and all of these things. And her, so her progression is excellent. But even just in that standalone first movie, her friendship with Tatum is brilliant. And obviously we see her, we've not even spoken to about Miss Weathers yet. Mm. But the fact that we see very early on the fact that they have a history, I think it's very, it's good at creating, you're dropping in at a point in, in Sydney's life where horrific things have happened to her and she has already been through trauma and she's already undergone a lot you feel that from the very beginning
1: she's so brilliant isn't she and I think like you said Louise she's got a past that's something that's so important to the character but also so important to the story I think as well that the, the whole series and we'll talk about this going forward but it all kind of hinges on Marine Prescott this is a character that we never officially meet she died a year before the first film is set But Sydney's mother, Maureen, was brutally murdered by who she thought was this guy Cotton Weary, right? And suddenly everything starts to come into question in this movie when similar murders start happening right and this uh, sort of backstory about maureen prescott is so important i think not just to the mystery of the film but also to give sydney that kind of depth um i think that there are some really clever scenes like where sydney sort of talks about what happened that night her mother was murdered with gail and it really paints a picture without ever feeling expositional you know have you talked to cotton many times And has
2: his story changed? Not one word. He admits to having sex with your mother, but that's all. He's lying. She never would have touched him. He raped her and then he butchered her. Her blood was all over his coat. He was drunk that night. He left his coat at your house after your mother seduced him. I saw him leave wearing it. No, you saw someone leave wearing that coat. The same someone who planted it in Cotton's car, framing him.
1: Also, it's part of the brilliant tonal balance that scream gets i think where you've got characters like billy and Stu and randy and it, even to a point tatum and dewey they're all quite they're a little bit more over the top aren't they they're a little bit wackier they're a bit more comedic sydney is playing it straight like she i think we need her to be the kind of heart and soul of the story like she is in a, a really tragic really harrowing really terrifying story
0: she's also the only character that doesn't really want anything from anyone. So mm. Gail wants her exclusive. She wants money and fame. Billions do want to, to become famous serial killers. Yes. Um, goals. You, yeah, very, goals. For
1: <laughs> Randy <laughs> but, wants to have sex with Sydney. Randy wants to have sex with
0: Sydney. Dewey wants to be taken seriously as a, as a deputy sheriff. Like, everybody has these things that they want and a lot of them, a lot of those things that they want involve taking things away from Sydney. Sydney just wants to be left alone. Sydney yeah. She just wants to go to class and have a chill life and not be photographed by, by press outside of her high school, um, which is the other thing that's kind of has aged quite interestingly. Yes. Um, but yeah, she's also the one who just wants to be left alone. And that being even the beginning of her journey makes it quite interesting. She just has this violence thrust upon her and she always needs to react. But she's never actually like or allowed to push for anything of her own. How do you get someone?
2: take a knife, and you slit him from groin to sternum. Hey, it's called tact, you fuck, rag. Hey, Stu, didn't you used to date Casey? Yeah, for like two seconds, before she dumped him for Steve. I thought you dumped her for me. I did, he's full of shit. And are the police aware that you dated the victim? Hey, what are you saying, that, that I killed her? It would certainly improve your high school kill. Stu was with me last night, okay? Yeah, it was.
0: Is that before or after be sliced and diced?
1: Maybe we should quickly talk about some of those other kids as well, because what an amazing cast as well. I think that's the other thing. Like, like you said, Kevin Williamson writes his characters. They're not the nicest bunch of kids, to be honest. And I think if not played by the right people with as much charm as this cast have, it might not have quite worked, but everyone in it is so good.
0: And also really played by relative newcomers, really. They were not big stars. So we were talking earlier about Drew Barrymore being the one kind of headline star that everybody expected to be the protagonist and then whoosh killed very very early on but everyone else was fairly fresh face maybe they had done one or two films but the sheer amount of talent and everything they were giving in in that in those scenes was incredible but i love that they seem to have a very great dynamic between them like when we meet them all together in the high school talking about the murders and stuff they really do feel like they've been hanging out for years like they re- they have history between each other, and when you rewatch the film after learning who the killers are, the winkiness between Billy and Stu is everywhere. Delicious.
2: It's everywhere, but especially with the character introduction mm-hmm. that. Um, initial arrival at the school straight after you know the the day after uh, poor Casey has no longer got her insides on the inside um, <laughs> the cherry picker shot of the high school accompanied by Marco Beltrami's Trouble in Woodsboro score is that is genuinely one of my favourite horror movie soundtracks oh, I know mm-hmm. Halloween is brilliant and also that's in the movie too as a soundtrack
1: it is but mm-hmm.
2: the his score is so incredible and you hear all these bells and you hear this kind of forceful rockiness but it also has that Scene where Sydney is at home and she's kind of looking at all things. It's got Sydney's Lament, which is this lovely, gentle score. And all the way through, you just know exactly how to. it, it reflects constantly how to feel so as well as your traditional 90s Republica stuff and Not all the rest of it you've also got this really, really interesting really interesting tracks all the way through the score that just hook you along they tell you when to be scared they tell you when to feel right and when to feel sad it's just, it's such a beautiful score that I just wanted to give it a nod because it's one of my that is one of my favourite scenes as that cherry picker shot goes down and Sydney and Tatum are just walking into school being those friends that you know mm-hmm. they have been for years it just accompanies and all comes together so well.
0: Casey Becker and Steve Orst were killed last night.
2: What? No way. And we're not just talking killed. We're talking splatter movie killed. Ripped open from end to end. Casey Becker, she sits next to me in English. Not anymore. It's so sad. Her mom and dad found her hanging from a tree, her insides on the outside. Oh,
1: my
0: God.
1: <laughs> oh, it's perfect, isn't it? It's just perfect. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, Anna, there's that at that moment when that the camera is swooping down into the high school for the first time and there's press everywhere and I, that's such a that's also a really big part of this film isn't it I think you know it's no accident that one of the central figures of this whole series is Gail Weathers who is a reporter right? Well,
0: Gail Weathers is one of one of the constants of the Scream franchise and mm. a fascinating character in own right because she is essentially presented as as Sydney's antagonist from their experience about you know in the past that we don't see them only hear about from Sydney's mother being murdered and Gail kind of swooping in and and doing the Gail Weathers thing. But Gail is also an adult who is inserting herself in teenage business, which is problematic (laughs) in so many ways in a delightful way. Yeah, like sneaking
1: cameras into parties to spy on minors at a house party. Gail
0: (laughs) is my problematic fave. I love my media girl boss who will punch anyone in the face, shame anyone, click her fingers so much at everyone just to get the shot of her whatever she needs. She is savage and also very much kind of played against type by Courtney Cox at this point. Obviously very well known for her role as Monica on, on Friends. And all her film roles up until then had been nothing like Gale. And even re Scream in 2021, watching Gale come onto the scene is... She is truly... An incredible character who does not care about anyone else. She's so entirely obsessed with her own goals, with stepping over whoever. The way she tries to snake charm Dewey Mm -hmm. is incredible. But
2: still, somehow... The sort of effortless writing manages mm-hmm. to bring her in and actually makes her quite you know you're like you're kind of root for her and then all of a sudden you're like please don't die please like, don't don't we die. don't
0: want her to die it's no. kind of ah it's, like, ah
2: it's kind of like it's such an and it's, I suppose that's all the sort of performance from Courtney Cox of like suddenly that yeah. ice defrosts slightly mm-hmm.
1: there's a hierarchy there's a, there's a scale of awful isn't there in this film and by the time you get to the final act you're like okay well Gail isn't You know, a homicidal maniac. We don't. Yeah, she's she's not that bad. It's fine. But you're right. She is. She's a she's a monster throughout most of this film. And there's those moments when you think she shows some humanity, where she goes, "Oh, you know, if this works, I could save somebody's life." And then she goes, "Do you know what that would do for my book sales?" And she is just (laughs) this greedy, ambitious, selfish, brilliant monster. (laughs) She's brilliant, and and I'm sure partly it is down to there's some brilliant casting there because Courtney Cox. Again, that's no accident, is it, that they that this is somebody who we associated with this very wholesome character in this very wholesome sitcom, even at the time, which was hugely famous. Kenny, Yeah.
2: I know that you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say hurry, please interpret that as move your fat
0: tub of lard ass now! It's also just such a rare very very rare example of this just ruthless female ambition that is not played for laughs really like she genuinely is so nasty to everyone around her it's it's really amazing to to see
1: and in most classic slasher films she she would she would be killed she would you 100% know, be killed Quite she,
0: reasonably
2: early maybe middle mm-hmm. yeah she certainly wouldn't make she wouldn't make the final bloodbath
1: no way no, so that that in itself is also really interesting um,
2: If only she knew how to work a safety <laughs> Oh, I know. Also, we haven't really mentioned someone in particular A certain deputy,
1: <laughs> deputy A
2: certain uh, deputy with boyish good looks Yeah, boyish good looks who was 24 for a whole year
0: <laughs> I'm 25 years old
2: You know, in a demographic study I proved to be most popular amongst males 11 to 24 I guess I just missed you <laughs> Of course, you don't look a day over 12, except in that upper torso area. Does the force require you to work out? No, ma'am. Because of my boyish good looks, muscle mass has increased my acceptance as a Sears police officer. (laughs) My favourite Dewey moment, actually, in all of in, in just the first scream, is when Tatum's saying, "You know, get in my car. Come on, we're co- you're coming with me to Sydney." And he turns to Tatum, he's like, "Does Mom know?" And it's this wonderful moment of you realise the dynamic. You're, you're automatically like their brother and sister, and you also automatically realise the exact dynamic for the entire movie. You're suddenly, well, there it is. It's right there. It's in the, it's in that one s- small question. I love and it. And it's just a perfect example of what Scream does so economically, concisely with an. Entire movie.
1: So we should finish by talking about the big reveal, right? The fact that Ghostface the Killer turns out to be not one, but two people. Sydney's boyfriend Billy, of course, and her fellow classmate Stu. And this final act, where Billy and Stu are revealed to be the killers, is just an incredible sequence, right? It's funny, it's mad, it's deranged, it's terrifying, it's just incredible, and some amazing performances from Matthew Lillard and Ski Ulrich here.
2: You see, Sid, everybody dies, but as everybody dies, but us we gonna carry on and plan the sequel because let's face it baby these days you gotta have a sequel ah! that sequence is depraved really yes it's depraved it, it really is, is depraved yeah. it yeah. really is depraved I mean I it bothered me when I was 11 or 12 when I saw it it really bothers me now yeah. and it, it, the sequels sort of did it again but it really bothers me the idea of go to the side, don't hit any vital organs, and all obviously you watch every. It doesn't really cut away. You hear it because if we've not talked about it, but scream is the noise has the noisiest knife <laughs> in horror movies. Oh, <laughs> like when <laughs> yeah, you know, when Ghostface sticks his arm through Sydney's bedroom and you yeah. whew, you hear the knife. Whew, whew, whew,
0: whew. <laughs> and, and like again the with ranges. the cleaning it also clean ghost yes. always cleans it up and you hear Squeak.
2: them yep so that's it so <laughs> the fact that we've heard those knives we so even though it's completely over the top but we don't think about it at the time we, then suddenly you watch them being shoved into people's stomachs and it's genuinely horrible you think about people being stabbed being stabbed is a horrible horrible thing and i think as horror fans we disassociate a lot from reality but in that it really, again, talking about tonal balance, mm-hmm. it crosses back and forth so effortlessly where you feel scuzzy, but everything's okay.
0: Did you really call the police? You
1: bet you're sorry, ass. I did. My mom and dad are gonna be
0: so me. Bitch!
1: stew saying my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me and everything oh, are, are laugh out l- loud moments right you know um again
0: because they're children
1: they're children they're children mm-hmm. playing with knives that's the other thing i think you know that i found watching it as a kid that these were two big imposing terrifying looking people billy and stew and watching it again now you go oh my god these are these pathetic little boys that yes. are you know real horrible obviously deranged psychopaths but they are just these idiot kids as well, you know, who think they're doing something really cool or really profound or whatever and, and it adds an extra layer to it, I think, that like you say, it's really it really brings home that they are children at that in that moment. And it
0: really pulls the rug under from uh, it really pulls the rug from under the audience as well because obviously I think both kind of general audiences and, and very, very horror friendly, horror literate audiences always you always want to be smarter than the screenwriter, right? Yes. You always want to be smarter than, than the filmmakers. But here as we're watching the film, we're trying to figure out who is the killer, who's the killer, and then actually there's two. That was a big kind of twist, a big brutal-breaking moment. And then the fact that and, and I remember Kevin Williams said said that there was feedback on the script of, you know, where's the motive? And some people said that the killer should have the mo or should have a strong motive, and other notes said that the killer should not have a motive. So he was like, Well, I'm gonna take both of these on board and mm. do both of them. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. <laughs> why are you doing this sell
2: fire the game sydney
0: it's
2: called guess i'm gonna die fuck you skeet does that so well of just yes. the the complete thing the complete move of we all go a little mad sometimes <laughs> to just showing his true colors and showing who he is and suddenly you're like you were this all along but you hid it just enough it hid
1: it in plain sight and yeah. what's so clever again about rewatching it and you guys mentioned it but that that you see the interplay between Billy and Stu. It's basically right there, shouting at you on screen from the beginning that these yeah. two are the killers. Like the, the 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 best movie twists are the ones where you go, of course, like that. That is that's been there from the start. It's right there in front of you, and it's so clever because you know it's it nothing about that reveal that it's the two of them feels contrived it makes total sense when you think about what they did and when they did it and how they did it you know and you believe it of both of them and you could have believed it of them from the very beginning there's something so unhinged obviously about Stu from the very beginning but there's also something very weird and creepy and sleazy about billy from the beginning as well and you just you go of course it's those two you know like it 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 feels so obvious although i didn't I didn't guess that it was going to be the two of them. First I time guess I saw it. it. No. Nope. Yeah.
0: And and it becomes even more creepy when you think rewatching it that Billy for a full year has been planning and faking a relationship with Sydney in order to get to this moment where he can do the big reveal, stab his friend. Stab his girlfriend and also just enjoy it so much. The scene where he's licking he- the fake blood of his fingers. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh.
1: And he's he's you know they they talked about uh, the, he was cast partly obviously because he's an incredible actor, but also Wes Craven said he reminded him of Johnny Depp in A Nightmare on Elm Street too. Um, that Skeet Ulrich that 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 has that kind of those really kind of boyish good looks and so much charisma but also something kind of slightly oddball about him as well you know yeah that's
0: too i think she wants a motive <laughs> hmm. i don't really believe in motive sid i mean did norman bates have a motive no did they ever really decide why hannibal lecter liked to eat people don't think so you see it's a lot scarier when there's no motive sid
1: like you said we've got one killer here with a very kind of, in some ways, simple motive, although it's a ridiculous motive, right? That Billy is doing everything he's doing because Sydney's mother, Maureen, had an affair with his father, right? And so that's the reason his parents split up and his mum abandoned him. And that's why he's on a killing spree, essentially. And Stu's just in it for the lols. He's just he's just going for <laughs> yes. it because, right? The millennium. It's the
2: that's millennium. That's another age. Yeah. It's the millennium.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's how to age things too. <laughs> Billy has... Problematic mummy issues and definitely hates women. Yeah. And Stu is in love with Billy and also just likes a lol.
2: (laughs) Careful. This is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare.
0: You know, we started talking about how Scream reignited horror, but. It was received with massive, massive acclaim, not just from critics, but mainly, most importantly, from audiences. People loved it. How has it aged? Like, what's been its legacy?
1: Its legacy's been incredible, hasn't it? I think it, it, it's only gotten better, its reputation over time, I would say, that it's it's become even more of a... It, you know, the further away you get from it, the more apparent it is just what an absolute game-changer it was, just what a benchmark, like a milestone right there in 1996 where everything changed, basically. Horror changed, but sort of cinema in general, I think, kind of late 90s. There's There's cinema after Scream and the cinema before Scream yes. in a way I really do think that I think it's so important I
2: think the interesting thing about Scream is as well it survived parody Yeah, it yes. survived parody because for a while we got those scary movie movies and it was just a case of you wouldn't have thought you know lots of films don't survive that they, mm-hmm. they become the thing and then the thing becomes so big that it gets parodied and then everyone just remembers that horrible was that's it that what's up is all that anyone would remember but no that mask is scary
0: again Scream is also probably arguably Let me know what you think about this. The only film that made being a movie nerd cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The fact that Randy doesn't die at the end of Scream, I think. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, within reason, right? You want to be a movie nerd like Randy, not a movie nerd like Billy you right they take movie nerddom one step too far maybe you know you could argue rule for
2: life if someone's beginning to say just before you have sex oh it reminds me of that scene in the exorcist no (laughs) probably don't (laughs) don't do that red flag (laughs) it's all the red flags it's very clear no it's nothing on match it's nothing like that in the exorcist on match
0: i was home watching television the uh the exorcist was on
1: got me thinking of you it did Okay, now it's time for the screamies This is a little section that we're going to do in each episode Where we give out some awards for some of our favourite moments in the movie So first screamy is going to go to the scariest moment Louise, what's your scariest moment?
2: 30 second delay Oh god. 30 second delay, we didn't get to talk yes. about it 30 second delay, the idea that there is a camera that is not up to date And therefore you can't predict where ghost face is And it's just the most perfect moment That perfect line, that's so scary for me
1: very good, Anna.
0: Tatum's death. When you Tatum's think, death. when you think that she might just run away, but she makes the dumbest decision, and then she doesn't quite fit through the little cat flappy thing, and then she gets crunched. <laughs> it's the fact that the killer ca- doesn't even bother to go up to her; he kills her from a distance. It's really scary.
1: It's good. It's, it's good. Um, I've got to go with the. I'm going to be basic and say Casey's death at the beginning yeah. as well. Um. Because that really, really <laughs> scared me. Um, so they go scariest moment, best kill, Anna. Best kill.
0: Well, I'm going to echo you and be basic here and say Casey's death. I think in terms of kills, yeah, that really sets up the tone for the violence, how graphic it is, and how savage it is.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a shout out to Principal Himbury. Oh, right. Uh, was that going to be was yours? going to be mine. My... Oh, sorry. We, Louise. No, no, we, I can, we in. can share
2: a best kill. Yeah, you tell me. It's unpredictable and it's a grown up yes yes and also there's a lovely shot of just after the death where you see ghostface's face and his eyeball which is so perfect <laughs> i love it
1: uh, this was inserted later on because the studio said look you've gone for 30 pages of this script 30 minutes of the film with no kill add one in so that was kind of inserted but it's a great scene it's a great little fun moment isn't it okay. and
2: they had to get the kids away from the house to try and get to localize yes. how many people were there so they're like how do we get them away oh we kill the principal
1: Best cameo. Best cameo. We're totally Obviously, all gonna have the
2: same yeah, one. We're gonna
0: have
1: the same one. <laughs> the scream movies, as we'll as we'll discuss going forward, are known for their little cameos, yes. right? Um, we're probably all gonna go for the same one, right? Wait, Anna, shall
0: we, wait, shall we do a three, two, one? Okay, three, three two, two, one. one. Where's Craven?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where's Craven dressed as Freddy Krueger as Fred the janitor, right? Delightful. Genius. Genius. Delightful. <laughs> uh, favorite Sydney moment. What am I doing? Oh good, picking her nose. That's good. That's
2: good. Cuz she has a great smile in that as well, mm-hmm. which is just genuine. I love that scene.
1: Yeah.
0: I think for me it's when she types in uh, her address into the 911 into MS-Dos the 90s thing. MS-DOS. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm gonna go with Punch and Gale as well. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, very good. Cinema. What a moment! What a moment! Uh, best Gale and Dewey moments.
0: My favorite Dewey moment is when he's talk is probably one of my favorite Gale moments as well is when he's talking to her and she's like, "Oh, you're just outside of my the demographic that favors me the most." And he's like, "No, you've got great upper body muscles," and he's like, "Well, ma'am." my boyish good looks do not do not serve me for being taken seriously as a police officer, I'm afraid.
2: Going on both of them together, though, where she turned to the... After they'd been driven off the road by the awful teenagers, and she's on top of hurt him
1: this was. This is mine and the well. fact
2: she looks and she says is that what you're looking for and he so sweetly says my whole life oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and she does the really lovely thing about that is she kind of smiles a little bit like uh-huh yeah but no I know the, the, the car of the the car of the father is right there
1: yeah genius genius again that genius kind of like very funny sweet moment moving into oh god something bad's happening in the woods like it's yeah in that amazing. hit of scary
2: music too yeah. Oh, yeah I
1: completely I completely agree and favourite horror nod favourite reference to a horror movie in this there are so many to choose from do you guys have a favourite
0: I have a favourite go on Anna it's gonna be Jamie Kennedy Randy yelling look behind you Jamie at Jamie the Curtis and Halloween when he's watching Halloween on, on VHS in his house yeah and he's hugging a pillow he's so concerned for her
1: <laughs> yeah it's so good isn't it I love that
0: Oh, favourite horror nod.
2: Do uh, you know, I do think all of the stuff in the um, the Drew Barrymore scene is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Like all of those, the, the quick fire, I think that's my favourite bit, where it's defining that that's, this is a movie where even if you don't know all the answers to this, yes, you're still going to love all of this. And also you'd probably die at this point. I think that's a...
1: There's a really subtle one in that opening scene as well that I love when the parents come home and they go, get in the car, drive down to the Mackenzie's, which is a line taken exactly from Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. She says to the kids go down to the Mackenzie's, you know, get away from the killer. Uh, I love that little, because that's a little bit more of a subtle one that I really enjoy.
2: Get in the car. Drive down to the Mackenzie's.
0: No, no, my daughter. Let's
2: go. No, my daughter. Call the police.
1: Okay, we're going to finish, as we're going to finish each episode, by talking about predictions for the upcoming Scream 2022, okay? First thing I want to ask you, while we're on the subject of the first film, do we think that there are going to be any surprise appearances in the new Scream film of characters from the original, do we think? Is anyone going to come back and make a surprise return? Louise, what do you think?
2: Other than our traditional main set I'm trying to think of all the people that have survived which wasn't very many wasn't that we saw many. but we did see and to, to relate to another we did see in one of the later screams we saw Randy's sister so if we're back in Woodsboro we might be speaking to more sort of relations of yes. people from the first or people who were referenced in the first
1: movie. I agree there are photos and I should, we should say right this, none of us have seen the new scream we film we not so this is all pure speculation, but I've seen photos, publicity photos, that look like characters are in Stu's house, the house that most of the last act of the film is set in. So I wonder if we're going to see somebody from Stu's family, maybe, a relative of Stu or something, come back in the new movie. Um, Anna, what about you? Any, Any guesses?
0: I am desperately holding on hope that Matthew Lillard would come back
1: (gasps) that Stu survived
0: that was meant to be a thing at one point wasn't it they thought that he wasn't
1: well this is and this is something we'll talk about going forward but there is a recurring theme where they have to shoot the killer in the head to make sure they're dead right otherwise the killer will come back and Billy was very definitively shot in the middle of the forehead right Mm -hmm. in this film Stu wasn't, Stu right? Stu
0: was stabbed and then electrocuted. Well, he had a TV got a television on, on his head.
1: And that was the last time we saw him. Now, exactly. he's probably completely dead, but you're right. People have a theory, and I think it's partly to do with these set photos as well, but people have theories that Stu might come back.
0: I would love it for Stu to come back. That would be the best thing. <laughs> I want him to have been maturing in his weirdness for twenty-five years. I want him to have been like simmering. He's like a serial killer pickle at this point. Mm-hmm. So I want him to come back and be like this deranged gherkin. That's what you I want
2: <laughs> the analogy needed to stop at pickle. It needed to stop at pickle
1: <laughs> Oh, amazing. Well, only a few more weeks to go and we will find out just how right or wrong our predictions were. So that's it for the first episode of Hello Sydney. Join us next week for our deep dive into the sequel to end all horror sequels, Scream 2.
0: The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the season.
1: In the meantime, guys, tell us where we can find more of your work online. Anna?
0: So you can find me on the Final Ghost Podcast which publishes a new episode every week and is right now focusing on teen horror and I write for a lot of places and you can follow me on Twitter at @annabedemented, where I try to remember to post links to everything I do and Louise you can find me on Twitter at
2: shiny underscore demon where I'm normally promoting my Sound of Gaming show on Radio 3 where I journey through the best gaming soundtracks for the first Saturday of every month but you'll also find me writing about horror and tech and games across Enemy Games Radar and occasionally, you'll find me on more BBC Radio as
1: well. And you can find me and more nerdy horror film discussions with Anna and Louise, funnily enough, on my podcast Evolution of Horror. And you can find that on all the normal podcast places and on Twitter at Evolution Pot.
0: Hello, Sydney is produced by Mike Munzer and Anna Bogatskaya for Paramount Pictures. The show is hosted by Louise Blaine, Mike Munzer, and Anna Bogatskaya, and it's edited by Mike Munzer.
1: Celebrate the 25th anniversary of Scream in 4K. Available to download and keep on Apple.